0: Welcome to the Tory podcast, Tales from Near and Far. Read to you by Proton Data. A Child's History of England by Charles Dickens. Read to you by Proton Data. Now this is where we are. Edward I, also known as Edward Longshanks or the Hammer of the Scots, has ascended the English throne. In 1272. As we shall see, while he turns out to be a decent king for England, he does not seem to be a decent king for the Jews in England or the Scots or the Welsh. His very famous and oftentimes a draconian and an absolutely egregious edict of expulsion that he started in 1290, where he expelled the Jews from England, was Such a horrible deed that this dreadful edict stayed right up until the term of Oliver Cromwell in 1657. 350 years of this brutal oppression and expulsion of the Jews from England. So here we go. Levelyn was the Prince of Wales. He had been on the side of the barons in the reign of the stupid old king but had afterwards sworn allegiance to him when king edward came to the throne levelin was required to swear allegiance to him also which he refused to do the king being crowned in an his own dominions three times more required Lévelin to come and do homage and three times more Lévelin said he would rather not. He was going to be married to Eleanor de Montfort, a young lady of the family mentioned in the last reign. The chance that this young lady coming from france with her youngest brother Emeric, was taken by an english ship and was ordered by the english king to be detained upon this the quarrel came to a head the king went With his fleet to the coast of Wales where so encompassing Llewellyn that he could only take refuge in the bleak mountain regions of Snowdon in which no provisions could reach him. He was soon starved into an apology and into a treaty of peace and into paying the expenses of the war. The king, however forgave him of some of the hardest conditions of the treaty, and consented to his marriage. And he now thought he had reduced Wales to obedience. But the Welsh although they are naturally a gentle, quiet, pleasant people who like to receive strangers in their cottages among the mountains and to set before them with free hospitality whatever they had to eat and drink and to play to them on their harps and sing their native ballads to them were a people of great spirit when their blood was up. Englishmen, after this affair, began to be insolent in Wales and to assume the air of masters, and the Welsh pride could not bear it. Moreover, they believed that unlucky old Merlin, some of whose unlucky old prophecies somebody always seemed doomed to remember when there was a chance of its doing harm. And just at the time, some blind old gentleman with a harp and a long white beard, who was an excellent person, but had become of an unknown age and tedious, burst out with a declaration that Merlin had predicted that when English money had come round... A Prince of Wales would be crowned in London. Now, King Edward had recently forbidden the English penny to be cut to halves and quarters for halfpence and farthings, and had actually introduced a round coin. Therefore, the Welsh people said this was the time Merlin meant, and rose accordingly. King Edward had bought over Prince David, Leoland's brother, by heaping favours upon him. But he was the first to revolt, being perhaps troubled in his conscience. One stormy night, he surprised the castle of Harwooden, in possession of which an English nobleman had been left, killed the whole garrison, and carried off the nobleman, a prisoner, to Snowdon. Upon this... The Welsh people rose like one man. King Edward, with his army, marching from Worcester to the Menai Strait, crossed it near to where the wonderful Tybula Iron Bridge now, in days so different, makes a passage for railway trains by a bridge of boats that enabled forty men to march abreast. He subdued the island of Anglesey and sent his men forward to observe the enemy the sudden appearance of the Welsh created a panic among them and they fell back to the bridge. The tide had in the meantime risen and separated the boats. The Welsh pursued them they were driven into the sea and there they sunk in their heavy iron armour by thousands. After this victory, Levelyn, helped by the severe winter weather of Wales, Against another battle, but the king ordered a portion of his English army to advance through South Wales and catch him between two foes. And Levelyn bravely turning to meet this new enemy, he was surprised and killed very meanly, for he was unarmed and defenceless. His head was struck off and sent to London, where it was fixed upon the tower, encircled with a wreath some say of ivy, some say of willow, some say of silver, to make it look like a ghastly coin in ridicule of the prediction. David, however, still held out for six months, though eagerly sought after by the king and hunted by his own countrymen. One of them finally betrayed him with his wife and children. He was sentenced to be hanged, drawn, and quartered and From this time, this became the established punishment of traitors in England. a punishment wholly without excuse as being revolting, vile, and cruel after its object is dead and which has no sense in it as it's only real degradation and that nothing can blot out is to the country that permits on any consideration such abominable barbarity. Wales was now subdued. The Queen giving birth to a young prince in the castle of Carnarvon the King showed him to the Welsh people as their countryman. And called him Prince of Wales, a title that has ever since been worn by the heir apparent to the English throne, which that little prince soon became, by the death of his elder brother. The king did better things for the Welsh than that by improving their laws and encouraging their trade. Disturbances still took place, chiefly occasioned by the avarice and pride of the English lords on whom Welsh lands and castles had been bestowed. But they were subdued and the country never rose again. There is a legend that to prevent the people from being incited to rebellion by the songs of their bards and harpers, Edward had them all put to death. Some of them may have fallen among other men who held out against the king, but the general slaughter is, I think, a fancy of the harpers themselves, who, I dare say, made a song about it many years afterwards and sang it by the Welsh firesides until it came to be believed. The foreign war of the reign of Edward I arose in this way. The crews of two vessels, one a Norman ship and the other an English ship, happened to go to the same place in their boats to fill their casks with fresh water. Being rough, angry fellows, they began to quarrel and then to fight. The English with their fists, the Normans with their knives, and in the fight a Norman was killed. The Norman crew, instead of revenging themselves upon those English sailors with whom they had quarrelled, who were too strong for them, I suspect, took to their ship again in a great rage, attacked the first English ship they met, laid hold of an unoffending merchant who happened to be on board, and brutally hanged him in the rigging of their own vessel with a dog at his feet. This so enraged, the English sailors that there was no restraining them, and whenever and wherever English sailors met Norman sailors, they fell upon each other tooth and nail. The Irish and Dutch sailors took part with the English, the French and Genoese sailors helped the Normans, and thus the greater part of the mariners sailing over the sea became in their way, as violent and raging as the sea itself when it is disturbed. King Edward's fame had been so high abroad that he had been chosen to decide a difference between France and another foreign power and had lived upon the continent three years. At first, neither he nor the French King Philip, that good Louis had been dead some time, interfered in these quarrels. But when a fleet of 80 English ships engaged and utterly defeated a Norman fleet of 200 in a pitched battle fought round a ship at anchor, in which no quarter was given, the matter became too serious to be passed over. King Edward, as Duke of Gwen, was summoned to present himself before the King of France at Paris, and answer for the damage done by his sailor subjects. At first, he sent the Bishop of London as his representative and then his brother Edmund, who was married to the French Queen's mother. I'm afraid Edmund was an easy man and allowed himself to be talked over by his charming relations, the French court ladies. At all events... He was induced to give up his brother's dukedom for forty days as a mere form, the French king said, to satisfy his honour. And he was so very much astonished when the time was out to find that the French king had no idea of giving it up again, that I should not wonder if it hastened his death which soon took place. King Edward was a king to win his foreign dukedom back again, if it could be won by energy and valor. He raised a large army, renounced his allegiance as Duke of Euguin, and crossed the sea to carry war into France. Before any important battle was fought, however, a truce was agreed upon for two years, and in the course of that time, the Pope effected a reconciliation. King Edward, who is now a widower, having lost his affectionate and good wife, Eleanor, married the French king's sister, Margaret, and the Prince of Wales was contracted to the French king's daughter, Isabella. Out of bad things, good things sometimes arise. Out of this hanging of this innocent merchant and the bloodshed and strife it caused, there came to be established one of the greatest powers that the English people now possess. The preparations for the war being very expensive and King Edward greatly wanting money and being very arbitrary in his ways of raising it, some of the barons began firmly to oppose him. Two of them, in particular, Humphrey Bohun, Earl of Hereford, and Roger Bigod, Earl of Norfolk, were so stout against him that they maintained he had no right to command them to head his forces in Gwen and flatly refused to go there. By heaven, Sir Earl, said the King to the Earl of Hereford in a great passion, you shall either go or be hanged. ''By heaven, sir king,'' replied the heir, ''I will neither go, nor yet will I be hanged.'' And both he and the other earl sturdily left the court, attended by many lords. The king tried every means of raising money. He taxed the clergy, in spite of all the pope said to the contrary, and when they refused to pay, reduced them to submission, by saying, very well, then they had no claim upon the government for protection, and any man might plunder them who would, which a good many men were very ready to do, and very readily did, and which the clergy found too losing a game to be played at long. He seized all the wool and leather in the hands of the merchants, promising to pay for it some fine day, and he set a tax upon the exportation of wool, which was so unpopular among the traders that it was called the evil toll. But all would not do. The barons, led by those two great heirs, declared any taxes imposed without the consent of Parliament unlawful. And the Parliament refused to impose taxes until the King should confirm afresh the two great charters and should solemnly declare in writing that there was no power in the country to raise money from the people evermore but the power of Parliament representing all ranks of the people. The king was very unwilling to diminish his own power by allowing this great privilege in the parliament. But there was no help for it, and he at last complied. We shall come to another king by and by who might have saved his head from rolling off if he had profited by this example. The people gained other benefits in Parliament from the good sense and wisdom of this king. Many of the laws were much improved. Provision was made for the greater safety of travellers and the apprehension of thieves and murderers. The priests were prevented from holding too much land and so becoming too powerful. And justices of the peace were first appointed, though not at first under that name, in various parts of the country. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed it, please comment and please like it and subscribe. Please do let me know if there are certain tales from whichever part of the world you might be in that you would like me to read. Thank you.